harmonize with me and hold me tight all through the night. You're shining bright, I'm your oyster, baby, you're my pearl. Thumb! William. Here we are! Here we are indeed. Are you comfortable? Financially. No, just like where your butt is. Yeah, these chairs are quite comfy, actually. I would like to be a little bit more, you know, skewed towards you. Yeah, we you should know. probably, at some point, do that. Just because why, why are we, like, I feel like, that you know, like, avant-garde theatre, mm. where the, the, the people don't talk to each other, they talk out to the audience, mm. you know, when they're talking to each other. Mm. That's what, we're, we're like an avant-garde podcast. I've always felt that we were that anyway. We're always on the edge, aren't we? I feel a little bit like I'm on a comfy throne. Yeah, me too. Mm. But we we should ask somebody why in a podcast where it's about conversation, we, we don't we don't actually look at each other. Yeah, that's true. Maybe we could ask uh this guy. What guy? This little guy here. Yeah, you could ask him, you might not get much out of him. Doesn't look like he knows too much, to be honest. Peeling the onion. Uh, we've had some questions. Should we jump into these? Let me just get comfortable. This is another thing I think about this seat, Tom. Mm. I like to be on one side or the other. I don't like being in the middle. I mm. feel like it's uh, it's too it's too wide. Mm. So I like to be on one side. Yeah, get kind of squished in one side. Or the t'other. Mm. But anyway, let me get comfortable and then hit me with a question, you get, Tom. You get comfortable because this is actually a question for you. Go on then. From Elise. In Washington, United States of America. Ah, Washington State or Washington, D.C.? Well, she didn't stipulate. Well. There's two of them, isn't there? Yes, there is, Dom. Hello, Elise. She said, Billy, when you got the news that you had been cast in Rent, did you find out what character you were originally cast as? Who were you going for? I did. uh, It was... Johnny. um, No. I forget his name now. He's He's the filmmaker. There's a rock star. Never seen it. There's a filmmaker, and it's a filmmaker. How do you document real life when real life's getting more like a fiction each day? That's what he says. Mm. So his life is getting more like a film, and he's trying to uh, capture what real life feels like. Mm. You didn't get it, did you? No, I didn't get it. You were told that you got it. I was told I got it. You didn't get it. I didn't get it, Mm. and I really wanted it. Mm. But um, it's the guy, the filmmaker... Uh, and I forget his name. That's terrible. Roger's the rock star. Angel is the lovely part. And then it's not Keith. It's like Keith. People out there are screaming at you what it is. That's all right. What does he say his name in the song? Uh, maybe. Yeah, he yeah, does. I, Steve, wish that life was less like a film. <laughs> Something like that. So, yeah. That was that us. guy anyway. That's Tom, true. do you want one? Do you want a question? Yeah, go on. Right. Hold on to your hat, Tom. Don't okay. read the questions, otherwise you'll know what it is. Well, I don't know the answer. <laughs> Just the question. Do you know the answer? Do you know the answer? Uh, right, hold us. Hold on. Hold this. It's <laughs> not that type of podcast. <laughs> hey, Craig Deacon from Germany. From Landstuhl. Oh, Landstuhl. Landstuhl. In a lovely pronunciation there, Bill. Do you know what that is? No. Right. We'll carry on then. Hey, fellas, he says. I'm reaching out from Landstuhl, Germany. I was watching Fellowship of the Ring. I was wondering if you could tell me more details uh, on 
when the orcs and cave troll was attacking in the mines of Moria, for example. You all attacked the cave troll after Frodo got stabbed by the troll and you jumped on him. What was used for that scene? What did you jump on? Because there wasn't a troll there, he's saying. No, there wasn't. Dom, if there is something you would like me to send you from Germany, let me know. I know you've spent some time there and were even born there. I put that bit in. Oh, yeah, good, thanks. Thanks, guys. Uh, and then he says, as a throwaway at the end, I love you, Billy, and the same goes to you. But he doesn't really mean that. Mm. He, he meant that more for you because you've got the kind of German heritage, as mm. it were. Cheers. And I, but I love Germany. You know that. Mm. It's one of my favourite countries. Do you know that word? That's a good one to remember in Germany. What? I'm sure you've heard it before. Cheers. Cheers. It's a little bit like ciao. Yeah, in all other the parts best. Cheers. See you later. Cheers. It's das mein Stuhl. Cheers. Yeah. It's lovely. Good. Right. Sehr gut. Well, the question. Yeah. We attacked a cave troll. What was used for the scene when we jumped on him? Well, do you want to say? Not, no, it's not, it's not I, want, really. I want to hear you because I've got a feeling that your memory of this is not right. It's going to be foggy. My <laughs> recollection of it is that it's not actually us. It's a computer generated version of us jumping onto a computer generated troll. Or is that not correct? That's not 100% correct. Sorry about that. Only one of us jumped on the troll, Dom. Oh. It was me. Really? What yeah. did you jump on? Uh, Pete Jackson. <laughs> there was a few different things but like when we were fighting the troll and hiding behind the thing and all if you remember sometimes it was just a tennis ball on a stick I remember that so just to, so that we were all looking at the right thing for his eyes basically yeah right? but they they did have um, uh, obviously the, what it was going to look like and, and Pete brought us in a computer and said this is hmm. what the troll will be like and how he moves so that you know and um if I'm honest, the scene where I'm on his back, I can't 100% remember mm. what I was on. But I remember I did have to do, I had to jump off it and do a forward roll. Oh! Which, yeah, that was quite exciting. Yeah. But I think it was just, there was a few different things. Sometimes I was, some, I was actually on like a, a, a stunt man, and sometimes it was like, you know, just on a sort of thing that they built off the ground in wood. And looking at you, you were down trying to stab him. And oh, all I was there. I was there for you, giving you an eye line because you didn't have one from the cave troll. And I was happy to do it. Well, you started off by saying, I think your memories about the cave troll are going to be vague, Dom. And your memories about the cave troll were quite vague, weren't they? Uh, yeah. Yeah, you've, you've but, been hoisted by your own petard there. But I do remember doing it, and I remember it being quite an exciting thing, the mm. whole cave troll thing and that. Yeah, that sequence was great because all the fellowship were encased in Moria together, and we were there all day. There was a lovely feeling on set. There was a nice little fun dynamic teasing between the humans and the elves and the elves and the dwarves and the hobbits were in their own little thing, right? Yeah. Ian McKellen was in a good mood and he was winding up Vigo and yeah. Orlando and we were all, all having fun. It was, a, it was a great feeling. I think we were all just a bit giddy and excited by just how incredible that set was because Moria was one of the best, wasn't it? Was it was brilliant. Incredible. Skulls I, I, everywhere. I'm not going to get uh, uh, super into the the rings of power right now the mm. tv show the tv show yeah. um because we might speak a little bit about that show today with our fantastic guest true but i will say one of the things i like best about it is when there's characters that you're like oh that character was in lord of the rings mm. somehow mm. like during mm. like Moria. that was the his tomb we were in <laughs> 
and then to see him on TV now, mm. like and seeing his story, yeah. And I do think the actor that plays Duran is fantastic. He's very good, and I love seeing Moria looking so healthy, and you know, yeah. it's, a, it's a place where a great community is strong. Those elevators going up, yeah, and, very oh, cool. some very cool stuff in that. Yeah. Well, thank you, Craig. Uh, we've got one last question here from the lovely Sophie Harris. Where's Sophie Harris from? She didn't say where she was from. She's just leaving it just as a question. It's just from planet Earth. She said, hi, guys. Why do moths love light so much, like light bulbs and phone screens? And I'm interested to see what Billy thinks about this, if you were to answer it. Why do moths, why are moths attracted to? I've known you for a long time, Dom. And if I get this wrong, this would be very embarrassing. Yeah, yeah. I'm sure that a few people have asked you that over the years. Mm. Dom being an expert of uh, moths and other flying creatures. Mm. And also creatures that crawl and walk yeah, on two and four legs. Yeah, creatures in Six general. and eight. Mm -hmm. Creatures in general. But creatures. a lot of flying nocturnal creatures are attracted to lights, aren't they? Here's what I'm thinking, Dom. you tell me. They think it's the moon. Oh, good. And they think, I'll fly towards that. For a reason that is beyond me. Mm. But they do think it's the moon. They do think it's the moon, yeah. But why would they be flying towards the moon? Yeah, well, so you, you've got half of it right. Well, thanks. Yeah, those, those animals do navigate by the light of the moon, but obviously the moon is a long way away from them. So what they do is they keep the moon at a certain kind of angle gradient to where they fly, and they always oh. keep it, let's say for the sake of argument, to their left at 45 degrees. So they know if they're going to turn right, right then they yeah. face in the opposite direction from where oh, they're going. Right, yeah. But with an artificial light being so close, they think, well, I'll just fly in the direction of the thing. That's my kind of North Star. Yeah. But and then, then I'll work it out. But then they get caught in a little cyclone where they're trapped now with no direction because they've hit the thing that they're navigating by. Do you know what I mean? Happened to me once, mm. playing Blind Man's Buff, oh, yeah. in my grand's uh, hallway. Mm. You know Blind Man's Buff? Basically, you're blindfolded and you're trying to catch other kids. Yeah. So I get stuck in the corner, and the corner of a hallway only has two walls. And for some reason, Dom, I could not get out of there. <laughs> so you went left, right, left, right, couldn't work it <laughs> yeah, out? I couldn't work out. I how... bet all your pals were laughing at you, weren't they? What do you think would happen? I was like a moth mm -hmm. at the light. Moth to a flame. Uh, and obviously, so obviously a lot of flying animals do that. Spiders are very smart because they tend to put up their webs close to artificial lights now so that they don't have to do all the work. The animals will come uh, to them. Yeah, you'll see that a lot around. That's amazing. I mean, when yeah. you and I were in Thailand, yeah. any light that goes up, all the spiders and all the all the Snakes and lizards will just hang out by that light waiting for food to come to them. A spider's web has to be one of the most amazing things ever, eh? Yeah, pretty incredible. That there's an animal that makes its own trap yeah. out of its butt, is it? Yeah, out of its abdomen, yeah. I mean, and, and can make different consistency in that web. Right. It can make some that it uses for it to, like, shelter in yeah. its little, you know, hideaway uh -huh. and then some that uses to trap animals and then some that when the animal shows up it produces a very sticky webbing yeah. so they can trap it very quickly so they can create different consistencies to that webbing amazing super incredible now a word from our sponsor better help 
It can be tough to train your brain to stay in a problem-solving mode when faced with a challenging life. But when you learn how to find your own solutions, there's no better feeling. A therapist can help you become a better problem solver, making it easy to accomplish your goals, no matter how big or how small. That's right, Dom. Sometimes you just need to speak to someone about your problems. Otherwise, you keep them inside and you can spiral into that problem rather than thinking about, well, how am I going to fix this? And it's great to talk to friends and family, but sometimes there's nothing better than speaking to a professional, and that's what BetterHelp does very, very well. Absolutely. If you're thinking of giving therapy a try better help is a great option it's convenient accessible affordable and entirely online you can get matched with a therapist after filling out a brief survey and switch therapists anytime you like when you want to be a better problem solver therapy can get you there visit betterhelp.com onion today and get 10 percent off your first month that's better h-e-l-p.com slash onion Remember the days before streaming services when you would just come home from high school and it was only a few hours until that TV show that everyone was watching was going to come on? Your friends were on their way over for a watch party and the smell of popcorn filled the room. Well, in 1999, that particular show was one of Billy's favourites, Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Well, in the new podcast from Wondery, the rewatcher Buffy the Vampire Slayer, we are taking it back to 1999. Get out your knee-high boots and paste that poster of Angel on your wall. It's time to enter the Buffyverse. Join morbid co-stars Ash and Elena as they slay their way through Buffy's drama, action and romance, episode by episode. Mm-hmm. Enter the Buffyverse with Alana and Ash. Listen to the rewatcher Buffy the Vampire Slayer on Amazon Music, Apple Podcasts, or listen early and ad-free by subscribing to Wondery Plus in Apple Podcasts or the Wondery app. Buff me, baby, one more time. William. What is it, John? Look to your left, there's Bear. Hello. Hello. How's it going, Bear? Great. How are you guys? We are very happy that you've decided to come into the friendship I am thrilled. There's no other onion I would rather be at right now. The best onion. (laughs) That is is the best onion. It's the only onion that won't make you cry, hopefully. And we are big fans for for many reasons. A lot of the people that listen to The Friendship Onion will, of course, know you from um, the the new Lord of the Rings on TV. Oh, yes. Uh, But, um, of course, there is many, many things uh, that you have done. And if you don't mind, we'd like to embarrass you by listing a few just now. Hold on, let me prepare myself. Just, in, just enjoy uh, this. I am ready. Dominic, would you like to? I, just got, I can't read, you know that. Oh, well, I'll go ahead then. <laughs> um, bear, bear, bear. Um, are you ready? An American musician and composer of film, television, and video games uh, based in Los Angeles, California, uh, included in his works. Get ready for this, people. <clears throat> Battlestar Galactica. Classic. What an absolute beauty we're starting with. So say we all. An absolute classic. Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Mm. Oh, yes. Oh, Outlander. Oh, I've heard it. Very close to my heart. Yes. The Walking Dead. Fantastic. The Rings of Power, of course. Mm. And uh, video games, Call of Duty, Vanguard, God of War. Mm. I mean, it just goes on and on. Godzilla. I mean, you've got Emmys, blah, 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 blah. The Demons, (laughs) BAFTAs. I mean, we won't go through it, but gee. You have embarrassed me enough. Yes, thank you. That is absolutely plenty. Mm. But... um, Going back to uh, Battlestar Galactica, I think that's where I first uh, got introduced to your work. That's where everyone 
that saw it got introduced <laughs> to my work. That was my first job. Was it that really? Was my wow, first what a great job. First I was 24. Um, I was a child, basically, and uh, should never have been put in charge of a score like Battlestar Galactica, but there it was. Well, we've got, we've got to go back to that then, Bear, just to start <laughs> with. I mean, how, how would you, how would that, I mean, who, as you say, if that's your first job, yeah. who said to you, this is the guy? Well, I was um, uh, working for a composer named Richard Gibbs who scored the miniseries, and I was working under him. Uh-huh. The miniseries was a four-hour pilot, mm-hmm. basically. And so from there, when it became a series, um, he, Richard at the time uh, was doing a lot of feature films and, and also television at that time wasn't what it is today. Mm-hmm. So I think that there was a, um, a sense that, you know, he, he, he went on to do these other things. And I think that they were looking for someone else to take over the, to, to score the show. And uh, while they were looking, they let me do one episode. Oh, nice. And, uh, and that episode was the, the first episode that aired, one called 33, uh-huh. um, which is, in my humble opinion, one of the best hours of television made in that decade. Yeah, yeah. It was, I mean, the, the miniseries was spectacular, but that first episode of season one of Battlestar really shook things up and showed that um, this was a series that was not going to turn into a procedural yeah. adventure of the week, that uh-huh. it was going to tell a a, a gripping story that unfolded over seasons. And um, I didn't screw it up, you guys. I didn't <laughs> screw it up. And at the end, they said, uh, okay, why don't, why don't you come in tomorrow? Let's let's take a look at the next episode. And I thought, ooh, maybe I get to do two episodes. Yeah. Here we go. And the rest was, uh, was history for We me. just kept going. How it many episodes kept, in that first season? There were 13, and I ended up scoring between the straight-to-DVD movies and the shows and... I did the spin-off Capricorn. I mean, I ended up sp- scoring about a hundred hours of Battlestar Galactica. Wow! You know, uh, over the course of hours of music, almost you've not, ten. You've not spent a hundred hours doing anything. Far from I know. Sitting on your ass. <laughs> I've I've spent a lot of hours sitting in Mars mm. thinking about things. Mm. Well, but, then you're as good at that. Exactly. Yeah. You know what I mean? You've you've mastered sitting on your ass thinking about stuff. And what would be like looking back on Battlestar Galactica now? What would be the kind of signature of that of that sound for you it's an interesting question dominic because i i feel like i'm inside my head and i don't know how to say what the signature sound is Mm. because it's something that i feel like an outside observer was like oh here's this thing you do Mm. and i'd be very interested to know i will say that when i look back on what i did and listen uh which i do once in a while um i think that it was my naivete that was on display in a really good way. I grew up loving film music. I did not grow up loving TV. I mean, I watched A-Team and Magnum P.I. and stuff, but I wasn't like thinking this is where I wanted my life direction to be. Mm -hmm. I was watching Star Wars. It Mm -hmm. was watching Conan the Barbarian and Aliens and Highlander and these kind of big epic fantasy sci-fi stories. Mm -hmm. So when I Got the opportunity to do Battlestar. Um, I was very young and I was energetic enough and eager enough that I just thought, I'm going to score this using all the techniques that I've learned studying that kind of music. I'm not going to go ask someone who has experience in TV how how to do it. Um, And I think you can hear that. 
that I didn't know what I was doing. I just know the kind of music I love to do. And in a way, I have never asked anyone how to do television. I just kind of stumbled into that way of doing it. And and in a way, that kind of laid the groundwork for what I would end up being asked to do on Rings of Power 20 years later. Mm-hmm. Brilliant. Well, as you say, I mean, you, you can tell that those sort of bigger movies is sort of where your influences come from. Especially yeah. like when you when I think of Battlestar, I think of it as being like an opera and it's yeah. and it's it's big and it's got big themes and it has this always underlying kind of um I don't know, like the end's not going to be great. Like, you know, the foreboding. captain. Yes. Yeah, foreboding. There's <laughs> yes. the word. The captain clicking off, you know, every time someone dies, there's another human gone kind of thing. And yeah. that the music had that operatic beautiful that supported that story, which uh, was brilliant. So what a great... Well, everyone on the show felt the same way I did, that it was something really special. Great. And, and Eddie almost, Edward James almost would often pull us aside. He was very much the patriarch on set that you would assume he is. Mm. Um, and he would always say, you guys have no idea. You guys have no idea how special this is. <sighs> Talking to me and many of the cast members for whom we were all in our early 20s. Like, we didn't know, mm. you know. And, uh, but he was right. It's not always like that. Yeah. And, and yeah. I'm sure you guys can relate to that feeling of getting involved in something early in your career. And you know, yo, this is really special. This is really good. But then there's somebody else in your life that's like, you're going to go through the rest of your life and probably never work on something like this again. It's so rare. Mm. So that was really cool. And that operatic quality, that big sound is something that evolved naturally and and I would just, again, in my naivete, I'd see the season one finale and I just think, we, we didn't have an orchestra. It wasn't always a big sound. Um, and I went to the studio. I just, I very naively called my friend at the studio. I didn't even call the showrunners. And I was like, hey man, like, have you seen the season finale? I'm crying. Like, we got to get strings on this. We got to have an orchestra. And he's like, I know, we have to do it. And it's like, we found the money and just did it. You know what I mean? That's like great. it was I was contractually obligated to not use orchestra. But I didn't know or care. I just saw that that ending. I don't mm. want to spoil it, the first season ending. Oh my god. And everybody on the show just knew, yeah, we got to we got to have an orchestra on this. Mm. And that naivete did sort of set in motion my way of approaching TV in that cinematic way, which is mm. like let's just look at it and and if no matter what it needs, no matter how ambitious it is, let's just go for that. You know, like mm-hmm. that's what it should be. Yeah. And I think that that is very much the way TV's done now. Lost also was done that way. There were some mm-hmm. other shows around that time. Um, but shortly before that, TV was expected to be a small, low budget experience yeah. that does not replicate the cinematic experience. Mm. And you it's know, almost, it's almost switched now, hasn't it? TV. It really has. Mm. It is not lost upon me, gentlemen, that mm. after Battlestar and Walking Dead and Outlander, over the last ten years of my career, I've made a concerted effort to move into other mediums. I felt like. I had done what TV could do at the time, and and I worked on Godzilla, King of the Monsters, moving into movies. I worked on little art films, like The Professor and the Madman. I did video games. But that whole time, television was continuing to evolve 
in the way that it had started mm. in the mid 2000s. And sure enough, when, when Rings of Power was announced, even then I started thinking like, is this show going to be bigger and more grand than anything a film could even do today in the mm -hmm. modern era? Like, are we at that tipping point? Mm -hmm. Look, bias is on the table now that I work on it. I think it is. Mm -hmm. Do you know what I mean? I think mm -hmm. that it, I think that we are at this point where it has flipped and that television, for a variety of reasons, um, is telling the kind of stories that I grew up on. Mm. That's that's the irony of it, right? That like, I grew up admiring all these big epic movies and not really thinking about television. But in a way, if I were a child today, the things that would really be inspiring me and I'd be obsessing over would be on TV. Yeah. And that movies would be the occasional distraction or an occasional good one would come up. Yeah. Is that weird? Well, I think it's an accurate way of describing both those mediums now because like television, affords you the time to spend with those characters that you just do not have in movies anymore. You know, they're in most successful movies, they're going to need to present the character and what that person is all about within the first kind of six to eight minutes. Whereas in Rings of Power, you can yeah. do it over a couple of hours. Type yeah. Thing, you know, Reserve Bar is your online source for premium and luxury spirits, wine and champagne. And now, Reserve Bar offer same-day delivery. Fantastic. Yeah, Reserve Bar has a vast lineup of rare and hard-to-find bottles, premium brands, celebrity spirits, and limited releases that you won't find in your local store. No one does spirits gifting better than Reserve Bar if you're looking for an elevated gift. ReserveBar.com has you covered, and you can have that gift delivered right to your door. Even better, turn that spirits gift into a cherished memento with custom engraving. Perfect for birthdays, weddings, anniversaries, Father's Day, Mother's Day, you name it. Getting into home bartending? Fantastic. Reserve Bar has everything you need. Spirits for the shelves? Sure. But they also have every barware tool and glass you'll need. Reserve Bar has a great feature called Cocktail Lounge. Oh. Now, this is a treasure trove of cocktail recipes, bartending tips, interviews with master distillers, celebrities, and more. The hot trend in spirits is ready-to-drink cocktails. Have you tried them, Dom? I have. They're fantastic. Delicious. They taste better than ever, and Reserve Bar now has a huge collection of them. These canned cocktails are great for parties, and if you don't have time to tend the bar, and they're ideal for tailgating season, which is already in full swing, Dom. Is that right? ReserveBar.com also has barware, glassware, cocktail recipes, and more. Need something for a party tonight? Reserve Bar now offers same-day delivery straight to your door. Did you forget someone's birthday mm. gift? Well, Reserve Bar... To the rescue with same-day delivery. Well, that's what I like about it the most. You know, if you're having an impromptu party, maybe you don't have mm -hmm. time to go down to the supermarket, you've got enough things to do, maybe you're cooking some food, you've got guests showing up, you do the same-day delivery, everything shows up. Not only the drinks, the glassware, they'll bring ice for you, every single thing you need. Reserve Bar's got you covered. Visit ReserveBar.com today and use promo code ONION to save $10 off your purchase of $75 or more on spirits, wine, or pre-made cocktails. But only when you use our special offer at ReserveBar.com with the code ONION. That's ReserveBar.com and code ONION. This offer expires December 31st, 2022. 
Dom, after years of fine print contracts and getting ripped off by the big wireless providers, if we've learned anything, it's that there's always a catch. So when I first heard that Mint Mobile offers premium wireless starting at just 15 bucks a month, I thought, what's the catch? Mm -hmm. But after talking to them, it all made sense. There isn't one. Mint Mobile's secret sauce is that they are the first company to sell wireless online only. They cut out the cost of the retail stores and they pass all those sweet savings directly onto you. For anyone who hates their phone bill, Mint Mobile offers premium wireless for just 15 bucks a month. Mint Mobile gives you the best rates whether you're buying just for you or for your family. And at Mint, families start at two lines. All plans come with unlimited talk and text plus high-speed data delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. Use your own phone with any Mint Mobile plan and keep your same phone number along with all your existing contacts. Mm. Oh, fantastic. Switch to Mint Mobile and get premium wireless service starting at just 15 bucks a month. To get your new wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month and get the plan shipped to your door for free, go to mintmobile.com slash onion. That's mintmobile.com slash onion. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash onion. I think there's also something to be said for taking risks. And when I think about all the things that I love, I mean, I guess I was going to say I, I love those things those films when I was a kid that, that took the risks mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and the copycats might be fun, but they're never as fun. Mm-hmm. And I definitely think that risks in television have been greater over the last 15 years, okay, creative yeah, yeah, risks, yeah. you know, and, and that as a viewer is almost where you're more likely to see something that really surprises you. Uh-huh. Not exclusively, obviously. No, you can yeah. name five or six movies that have come out of the last few years that really took risks and were rewarded. But those are the those are the exceptions that prove the rule. Mm-hmm. You know, where whereas I think it used to be film. There, there was always something new coming out. It was almost expected that every summer some new movie would come out and blow your mind, mm. you know? I saw something with, uh, I think it was yeah, Matt Damon who was talking about that and saying that it's because of the way movies are released now because it used to be you'd have your, 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 your theatrical release and then the DVD release was basically the same as the theatrical yeah. so if you if it if you made a, a you know if it was a movie and it cost 100 million and you got 50 million at the theater you knew you would get 50 million and dvd and then it would it's paid itself off and then you yep. can start making money and then you'd have a third one with syndication television broadcasts yeah. there and then like you this... can maybe make some profit there if it went well there and there yeah. but that whole dvd thing has disappeared now absolutely so now no one will take the risk because you got a risky movie that costs a hundred million and the fifty million you make, that's it. You, you mm-hmm. kind of have a weekend. Mm-hmm. It's, it's that's, crazy. It's huh? it's a high stakes um environment. Mm-hmm. And uh but look, I mean, that's happening in TV. I don't want to describe TV as this Shangri-La where everyone takes risks and the money doesn't matter because everything that happened in feature film world is happening in the video game space and it's happening in TV where in order to stand out, you have to spend more money. The more money you spend, the greater risk you're taking. I mean, and look with, with rings of power, I think 
I mean, I, I could talk all day about how great I think the show is, which is good, mm-hmm. but it also is they are spending an amount of money that will change the history of the medium. Yeah. One way or the other. No, I'm not advocating one or the other. It's either going to be a one-off and no one else ever tries it, or it'll become the standard, in which case, if you aren't spending Amazon money to make your show, you're kind of doomed. And then mm. television becomes exactly what Matt Damon was describing. Yeah features were it's a weird it's a weird situation and it's almost like the best place to be is right when a medium is exploding outward yeah before all the money catches up mm. and it, then people get risk averse because it is, it is true no matter what you think of rings of power and I, I really like it i think it's fantastic i think what you're talking about is true when i said and i seem to watch it on a sunday i think and um i sit there and 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 it's a kind of and it's an experience that I'm not getting with a lot of other TV shows mm. where I'm I'm in Moria and I'm loving it and it's huge as we were talking about before Dom mm. and these elevators going up Moria and I'm just like oh wow and then I'm on a boat yeah it looks amazing in the middle of the sea heading for the elven lands and the shopify helps you sell at every stage of your business like that let's put it online and see what happens stage and the site is live that we opened a store and need a fast checkout stage thanks you're all set that count it up and ship it around the globe stage this one's going to thailand and that wait did we just hit a million orders stage Whatever your stage, businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for your $1 a month trial at shopify.com slash listen. It's an experience that uh, I don't feel like I've maybe got before watching a TV. I've maybe seen it in a, uh, in a movie theater before. And the music, and, and sometimes uh, Bear was stupid enough to give me his uh, telephone number so sometimes i'll text him little things as i'm watching it as well like oh the i love your, from that i love your commentary man it's always oh, it's always pretty awesome but yeah I, 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 you know there's something very special about that experience and and you know and people can be trolls online or whatever but that experience of sitting in your front room uh Watching on a TV, I don't, I'm trying to think in my mind just now, I don't think I've had that before. What do you think, Dominic? Have you seen the show? Yeah, yeah, I love it. It's great. Uh, I agree with Billy. I think the immersion, but also like, like let's say they, let's say Amazon said, we're going to, each week, we're going to allow you to go see that uh, cinema, which would be great because you'd have a, a phenomenal sound and, and a great screen to watch it on. Yeah. But I think most people nowadays have, pretty good TVs and you can sit at home comfortable with your doggy wug yeah yeah cup of tea yeah little snack there's something quite cozy and intimate about that and even though there are moments of high excitement and and uh you know kind of you know characters ultimately being in in, in danger there is a coziness about yeah. that world you yep. know I think yeah great. You know, I'm kind of yeah, I'm comf- kind of working out as we're talking just now. Yeah, and it is a cinematic experience, but 
but done in a way where, yeah, it's comfortable yeah. and you're in your house. And but I wonder if it's more comfortable for us specifically because we have actually been to those places and it, it, it triggers those parts of our amygdala. Absolutely. Say, wow, New Zealand and the crew and the cast and everything. You know, for us, it's quite a personal I was saying that to Doma yeah. uh, a couple of minutes ago, like seeing... Uh, characters that kind of pop up in Lord of the Rings in the Rings of Power and seeing their story yeah. before that is and even like with to add a text bear last week like Mithril they've got the fucking I yeah I mean it's, things like that yeah, is just like so exciting it's got to be a trip for you guys yeah I was just this morning zooming uh with Megan Richards who plays Poppy on the show yeah. talking about the Harfoot song. Yeah. And I was telling her for a minute that I was, I was realizing like, I'm going to hang out today with the two people who have sung Hobbit songs in live action adaptations. <laughs> yeah. Like, cause I was suddenly realizing like, I'm going to see Billy in a few hours. Yeah. How surreal. But then I also realized like how cool for her to get to pick up a tradition. I mean, can you even call it a tradition? I guess, but it's like, you know, the 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 song in Return of the King that you sang mm. is such an iconic thing people remember. And now here's a new Hobbit character mm. singing a song. Like, what was that like for you to see that? I mean, as 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 I've told the story a few times, you know, when I when I wrote that song, I wanted it to sound like it's something his grandmother had sung because she heard her grandfather sing it. Yep. So it could have been the Harfoots. That could have came from mm, them. Yeah. So when I heard that song, I was like, oh, it's great. The Hobbits. <laughs> I'm calling them the Hobbits. You it's can call them the Hobbits. They're, they're singing in yeah. Middle Earth. And I love that. It was yeah. great, Bear. It was so, uh, I, I, so cool. I felt the same. And I, I, I felt that it was like, I feel it as a comfort thing too. I mean, obviously the, the movies for me were something I experienced when they were done over and over and over, along with all the behind-the-scenes DVDs, uh, the the all the supplemental material that that was made about what you guys went through. I mean, so I felt that same sense of coming home when I watched the show. Yeah. It is interesting to imagine that. I mean, I'm also trying to do my part as a filmmaker to welcome people to Middle Earth that don't feel that way. Yeah, you know what I mean. And that's one thing that like. I am reminded uh, in all fan interactions, many of which they're all intense. Most are good. Uh, some aren't. But it's still that, like, there's a whole other demographic of planet Earth, people that are younger than me that that that, that don't feel anything about Lord yeah. of the Rings. That, mm. that, that yeah. this will be their way in. Yeah. You know what I mean? So it's like trying to be mindful of, like, welcoming back people that loved those movies to Middle Earth, but but also we're also saying to younger people, go check out those movies. Mm. And, and do you know what I mean? And Tolkien and that university, I know that I spoke to uh, Pete Jackson when he was making The Hobbit and he was saying exactly the same thing. He says a lot of people will be watching these Hobbit movies as their introduction. Yeah. And then they'll see Lord of the Rings. Mm -hmm. So now there's the Rings of Power that might be the first thing that might lead to the Hobbit, that might lead to... So and then to the yeah. books. Building. Well, it all yeah. goes back to the books. That's yeah, the what books I, are incredible. That's what I love about yeah. it, is yeah. that ultimately it's... All of this is based on this incredible source material. You know, I, I read The Hobbit when I was a kid, but it was the movies that drove me to the books. Mm -hmm. It was the movies that made me reevaluate 
and think, I must have missed something because I'm a very visual um, person. Like film was my passion. And the animated, various animated Lord of the Rings things, they were cool. But man, for me, it was like Star Wars and Conan the Barbarian and Jurassic Park. Like, yeah. I'm, I, am, I am not of the generation that like Ralph Bakshi's Lord of the Rings could compete mm. with that. Mm. Yeah. So I just kind of wrote it off. Mm. Do you know what I mean? And yeah. then when the movies came out, I thought, I got to go back. I obviously, you know, missed something. So did you stumble into that first Fellowship of the Ring movie thinking at that point, it was kind of a successful film and, and your friends and family had seen it or what made you go? No, for the first I time? was preaching that this movie was going to be the greatest movie of all time before mm. it came out. And mm. I'll tell you why Peter Jackson, mm. I, I had adored his films through the nineties. I rented dead alive that which brain dead, yeah. you know, that, poster that the, the the vhs box i was like what is yeah, this the scary poster holy shit that movie was amazing can i say holy shit <laughs> yeah, yeah you shit. Can say yeah. Yeah. holy shit that movie is amazing <laughs> uh and i and, and, and at that same time you know i i i loved cult filmmakers i loved sam raimi i loved that kind of storytelling and i was like this guy peter jackson is a genius mm. and then i saw heavenly creatures yeah. and and then i saw the frighteners which is hands down the most underrated studio feature film of all time. Yeah. And that movie blew my mind. So then when I thought, when I heard that guy is doing a big fantasy movie, that alone, I was like, oh, this is going to be amazing. Mm -hmm. Do you know what I mean? And, and it was, and I felt so validated, uh, but not surprised at all. Because mm. um, I just thought, you know, he and Sam Raimi were just these two guys that I was telling everybody, you got to keep an eye on these filmmakers, man. And boy, 2001 and 2002, I felt, I was probably annoying all my friends between that and when Spider-Man came yeah. out. I was like, see, <laughs> I bro, told you, I told you, I told you, you got to listen to me. Yeah. Also in, in Rings of Power, to go back to that for a second, Howard Shaw wrote the original title theme. Title theme right? Yeah. So that, did you spend some time with Howard as, as collaborators together? I, I did and I didn't. I, I, I got to know him and speak with him a few times. We did not get to collaborate. Right. Because uh, of the timing of the schedule, I started and then he did his main title six months later. Like I knew it was coming, but it, but it wasn't something that I was going to hear before I was basically done laying out all the themes and right. well into um, episode six. Um, but I, <clears throat> I was given free reign to do whatever I wanted. And what I wanted was to honor what he did mm. and continue in the sort of like tradition mm. that he set out. And so it was fantastic to hear his demo when it came in, uh, which kind of it was spine tingling hearing it, but also getting to talk with him. And I spoke with him several times and he was supportive and generous with his time and, and, um, Ultimately, it was wonderful to sort of exchange words with him about writing, about our creative process, our creative lives. That alone was amazing. But then to get to talk with him about Lord of the Rings specifically was double amazing. But then to get to talk with him about our creative process on Lord of the Rings because I am scoring the new Lord of the Rings <laughs> <Yeah>. is like <laughs> mind-blowing yeah, yeah. amazing. So that was really cool. You know what I mean? I feel um, – I felt – a lot of support from him and a sort of unspoken um, passing of the torch. Like, like mm -hmm. I'm doing yeah. my thing and we're, we're entering the second age through this 
lens that connects to the movies. But after that, it's like, you got this. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? How, like, how did it, how did it feel like you're, you're, you're then sitting there in front of a piano or something and going, <laughs> okay, now. I know <laughs> this is going to be like, all right, man, I'm going to confess <laughs> that like I talked about my naivete when I did Battlestar Galactica. Yeah. I, I retain it to this day. Right. My, my ability to just be naively excited about whatever I'm doing right. gets me through the day. That's Because can you imagine, like, if I woke up and went, okay, <clears throat> today I'm going to have to write a piece of music that will be as famous as Howard Shore's Shire theme <laughs> and will be scrutinized by a hundred million fans. Yeah. I would For curl up under the covers. In, in, and the, just... tr in the trolliest period of history <laughs> for humanity. Oh yeah. my God. I mean, or to see, yeah, I mean, to even sit at the computer in front of the piano, I wouldn't even get to the piano. I would just be weeping uh, in bed. So do you, so like. So I don't for, think of that. So you can't think of no, that. No, I get up and I go, ah, oh, man, I get to tell this awesome story. So like not even talking about everything else you've done for Rings of Power. Do you write anything before you see a picture or do you wait for them to send you some pictures, uh, some uh, scenes? Little, it's a little of column A and a little column B. Uh -huh. I watched a rough cut of two episodes. Then I read the scripts, spoke with the showrunners. Then I didn't look at footage again for almost two months. Right. And I also told them I, I wouldn't speak to them for two months. Right. I was like, you're not going to hear anything. You're not going to hear from me. Bye-bye. Right. I need to go into my space where I am safe to mess around. And I'm going to write a bunch of themes. Because it's you, 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 you need themes. I need themes to write anything. Mm -hmm. But in particular, I think... To write something for Lord of the Rings, you need themes. Yeah. And you need so many different worlds yeah. and communities. And, yeah. You need to have themes that connect to those different societies. Mm -hmm. And then within those societies, you have conflicting themes that each have to be different, but enough that you understand oh, these are two dwarf characters that are in conflict with one another. Yeah. These are two elf characters. These are two human characters. Um, and I, you know, created this whole kind of rule set and, and mapped out intervals and colors and rhythms because I just so desperately wanted to make themes that stood on their own mm -hmm. and could be identified quickly. And then I looked at the footage again and started splashing some music onto some scenes. Right. And then I sent those scenes to the showrunners. They never heard the themes in isolation. They heard the themes in isolation when the record came out. Okay. Otherwise, because uh, I put some tracks on the record. Otherwise, I I just let them watch the scenes because mm -hmm. I didn't want to ruin their ability to have the same experience you guys had. If yeah. if the Casa Doom theme works, yeah. I should just be able to show you that scene and you get it. Yeah. And it's great. You you've done such a wonderful job there. Oh, it thank really you. is. It's wonderful. Such it's, an imposing yeah. uh, world to jump into. Um, but yeah, it's fantastic. And it's it's so funny because I mean I'm sure we've all seen it. If you if you watch those incredible projects that are defined by the scores and they take the score out. Mm -hmm. You're like, what is what that? There? Like Star Wars without the score is amazing. Just, there's something so strange about it. obviously Jaws without the score <laughs> and the, and the Pete Jackson Lord of the Rings uh, film that we did without the score, I'm sure would be just like rings of power. There's, there's so much that you can put into the thing that, that project. I, I agree. And the thing that I learned when I transitioned from being just a fan of all these things to wanting to do all these things. Because I wanted to do this when I was five years old. And 
I started writing music every day when I was 13 years old. So really, I mean, I'm 43. I've been doing this for 30 years. Mm. But one of the things I learned is that there, the sum total of everybody's work, director, acting, writing, editing, sound design, music, creates this thing that we, as consumers, as fans, it's very easy to worship these things. And, and, and it's fun and you want to. Mm-hmm. But they're all made by just people that step up to the plate and bring to the project what they had to bring that day. Mm-hmm. That's all it is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know what I mean? You hear like Jerry Goldsmith's score for Chinatown that lonely uh, trumpet solo. He had two weeks to do the entire score. Mm. He got hired at the last minute. He's like, oh shit, it's a, all right, a noir. I'm just going to write the score to Chinatown. Mm-hmm. He just did it. Yeah. And then he moved on. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And, and, and in a way, that's, I, I actually haven't even thought about verbalizing it this way before. I think in starting to realize that, I internalize it, that I give myself permission to write the worst music ever heard by humans. I'm just going to get, I just got to write some music today. I'm going to get out of bed and write some music. Not only am I not aspiring to be as good as Howard Shore, like I'm just aspiring to be just garbage. Right, if I can okay. just sit here and just write bleh, something terrible, that gets me out of bed uh-huh. and gets me going. And then I start playing around with it. And it, you have to just get those shackles, that self-censorship. Yeah. Mm. I I imagine, correct me if I'm wrong, that as actors, there must be a similar thing where you must be unafraid to make a complete ass of yourself mm. in order to find, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. There's I definitely think. times with directors where the director will say, we got it, and we might say, can I just try something? It's probably not going to be great, but can yeah. I just try something? And, yeah. and very often it won't be great. Sometimes you'll catch something. But yeah, you have to be in a place of being able to... I think it's Make a mess. I think it's interesting because to actually I think we all like to be cool and people think we're cool. But the life of an artist is so vulnerable. Mm-hmm. Like we we really have to be boldly unafraid to just look like a complete idiot. Yeah. And and that kind of safe place that you yeah. can sit in is, is so comfortable that you can do that sometimes. And there's nothing better as an actor, I think, than when you get a character that Someone explained it once to me, and I thought it was brilliant. He said, well, you burst the bubble. Yeah. And then you're through that sort of little cage you put yourself in, the little bubble, and then you you kind of, you're just living as that character in that place. And that is the greatest. And you can see it when, I was just watching um, the first Austin Powers movie. Yeah. And you can tell Mick Myers did that on that where he just like got a character that you could say anything to him and he could riff he was there he was in that world and it's just the best and it must be like that with music as well it's very similar and I'm I am I've I've been doing this long enough now and I'm I'm confident enough that I'm up front when people hire me where where I say I'm gonna try to scare you with my first ideas do not fire me (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but I, my job here is to come at you with something that is uncomfortable, mm. pushes your buttons. Yeah, It's just splashing canvas. Yeah. We'll try a bunch of different things. But if I come out of the gate right away with something that's safe and conservative and what is to be expected of the genre, then we're dooming ourselves to something mm-hmm. that's ordinary. Yeah, And you can always tell when someone goes like, oh yeah, do that. Or sometimes they're like, I don't know, yeah. you know? Um, and the Rings of Power team were, they were all great. 
That's um, great. They were they were all fantastic, and even as I <clears throat> even as I described some of my ideas, um, the Numenor theme in particular is outside of the palette of Howard Shore. Mm. I mm. I perhaps foolishly expressed my enthusiasm for bringing in um, Middle Eastern instruments so that it felt Egyptian and Babylonian and Mesopotamian, maybe some ancient Greece. And then I realized too late that it's like, uh-oh, I am scaring people. <laughs> and and one of the showrunners said, I don't, I don't know. And I said, I understand this is scary and I want you to trust me that if I write this and you don't like it, it's not going in your show. Fear mm. not. Mm-hmm but you got to let me do it. Mm. And he was like, okay. Yeah. You got to be able to do those big swings, you know? Yeah. We, and we, I think what yeah. ma- ma- makes um, uh, TV and film even harder, I think, for musicians is they put these uh, temps on, don't they? Temp music. Yep. And then the director, the showrunner, whatever, gets used to hearing the temp music and they temp music, just for anybody that doesn't right. know what it is, is like scores or songs from other sources that are placed temporarily yeah. mm-hmm. into the edit just to see if the edit works mm-hmm. and to be able to screen it for people. Yeah. Um, but it can create a groove in your mind. Mm. I've seen it a lot to with get directors. Yeah. yeah. Where they're just like, uh, just just do something like the temp. Mm. And yeah. it's like, it's Braveheart or something. Mm. Yeah. it It is a reality of, of how film and television are made and sometimes you know aspiring composers will come up to me and that'll be a question what do you what do you do when a director is like that's all they want is this you know please they're like imploring me what are your secrets and i and i always say the same thing well you give them the temp and hope that your next job is better Mm. (laughs) i i learned a trick from my my mentor who was uh one of the great legends of film music elmer bernstein oh he scored the ten commandments the Great Escape, uh, The Magnificent Seven, To Kill a Mockingbird, Ghostbusters, nice. Animal House, um, Age of Innocence, Cape Fear with Martin Scorsese. He, 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 had, a, he had a long career. Wow. And he taught me when, when I was young, there's only one question you ever need to ask a filmmaker. And I use this almost every day to this day. Because he says, never let them talk about music. Don't ever talk to them about music in a... In a well, no, actually, in any in any situation, he says, all you need to ask them is, what do you want the audience to feel? Mm. That question bypasses all of the things that are in the way of the core truth. Any director, whether they are brilliant or completely amateur, has an answer for that question. Mm. Yeah. At any frame yeah. of their footage. Yeah. yeah. They so that's, tell, that's what the director's language is, that's, right? That's They're literally it. That. They are the avatar and the advocate for the audience at any time they can say that. And when you bypass all the other linguistic yeah. road bumps about music and just yeah. say, what do you want the audience to feel? Yeah. The truth comes out. And then you can go, oh, I got you. Yeah, you can speak the same language at that point, right? I'm a translator. Mm-hmm. Ultimately, mm-hmm. my job is to talk film with a filmmaker and then go like turn it into music and send it back mm-hmm. and say, did I translate this correctly? Mm-hmm. You know? So what for you are the kind of standout scores in movie history? What are the ones that you always come back to that are the masterpieces? I mean, I, I mentioned one already. I think Elmer Bernstein's To Kill a Mockingbird mm-hmm. is so timeless. It, it was written at a time when film music in the 50s, film music before the 50s was Western classical music. 
I love uh, King Kong and all these other, you know, all these like mm-hmm. um, Max Steiner scores and and uh, and and yet it all sounded like bombastic classical Western music. Mm. And even to a degree, like, should King Kong sound like bombastic Western orchestral music? I don't know. That was the norm. In the 50s, it started to change. There are so many great film scores, but I mean, I, I guess, are you asking which ones are my personal faves? Yeah, personal is always the best because obviously there's ones across the board that everyone yeah. will agree of. Like, like, obviously, Jaws is a standout one for most people. Yeah. But as someone who actually works in the business, what are the ones that continue to move you? You know, the ones that uh, uh, um, Conan the Barbarian by Basil Polidorus is just a masterclass in epic writing mm. and uh, doesn't ever get enough praise Mm -hmm. you know for for how amazing it is um and uh i mean there's so many like jerry goldsmith's um star trek the motion picture is another one that gets sort of lost in the in the main title that became star trek the next generation it just sort of feels like oh that's that's star trek it's no at the time that was this weird Robert Wise movie that got greenlit because of Star Wars, but it's nothing like Star Wars. Mm-hmm. And and some of the themes in it are so just crushingly gorgeous. They have no right to be that gorgeous. Mm-hmm. Says, you know, I mean, Ennio Morricone, my God, Cinema Paradiso. Oh, and the mission. Yeah. I mean, oh, his work in the, in the 80s, that was Ennio kind of like, he had done like 200 spaghetti westerns. And I mean, he was still at his peak just like writing loop-de-loops around everybody else the yeah. untouchables is another yeah. one but you know what i mean that like when you say yeah. any morricone people think ah, wah, yeah. wah, wah. and to be fair that's amazing if he only wrote that <laughs> yeah. he's in the film score hall of fame forever yeah, yeah. but yeah. the, the yeah. mission is one of the real the mission my god in the, and it's like the movie's not even that great yeah it's yeah. good but that score my god God, the way he took the like, he took these South American children's choir and the oboe that the Jeremy Irons character played. Right, it was like mm. the oboe soars over this melody with the with the South American like indigenous percussion. It's just like a masterclass yeah, in how brilliant. to do that. You know, we had we had Chiquino on. I'm sure you know Chiquino, right? Of course, yeah. Um, I was lucky enough to work with him on Lost, and um, so we we had him on, and we were, we were asking him about how he came up with that kind of iconic theme now from up from pixar's up and he said that he was just humming it in the shower one day remember yeah yeah Yeah. he woke up with it and then he was like i'm not sure what that is where it's come from let's see if it hangs around and then he said he got in the shower and it was still hanging around and then he thought i'm gonna have to find out if that is someone else's and then realized that it wasn't someone else's and then became this what one of the more standout kind of melodies from pixar canon oh yeah absolutely and Um, i i love knowing he has that same, he must have that same insecurity I have, which is when you get a great idea, you're like, well, this has got to be somebody else's. Right, right. There's well, no way there's I thought so of this. There's only so many notes, isn't there? <laughs> <laughs> you know. got to think, well, yeah. someone through yeah. time must have thought of putting these six together. I but, know. Yeah. Well, that's I like know. McCartney with uh, with Yesterday, right? I mean, he, yeah. he was walking around for months um, singing this song called Scrambled Eggs that he thought, well, this this can't be an original. <laughs> this must be someone else's. And then sooner or later, everyone was like, no, we've never heard that before. And then it became yesterday. So wild. Amazing. I think if we can jump back to another one of my favorites of yours and uh, one that, you know, for me could have went really wrong is uh, Outlander. <laughs> <laughs> because uh, Talk to me as a Scot about a, how wrong that could have gone. 
But surely you must be a bit of a Scot yourself, McCreary. Mm, I McCreary. am indeed. Bear McCreary. The McCreary side of the family. Where is your family from? Um, I think they go back to Ireland. Um, right. But the, the McCreary's have been in America uh, since the 1880s in the American South. Um, and the other side of my family is Armenian. Ah. Uh, and actually, my Battlestar days, I, I wrote for Armenian Duduk. The Kalpakian side of my family escaped the genocide and came through Ellis Island in the 20s. Right. Um, the Armenian Duduk and the bagpipes were, were both appear early on in Battlestar Galactica season one as my little DNA thumbprint. I love it. But I grew up, <clears throat> I grew up loving Celtic music and I always went to the Highland games. There was a Highland games near Bellingham, Washington, where I grew up and I would just go there and I would hear there'd be like 40 bagpipe bands in competition. So the drone it's like, you know, acres and acres of bagpipe bands all droning on that B flat. And yeah. you're just like, I would go to bed at night with the drone stuck in my head. And I even in the morning, I'd wake up and I, I don't have perfect pitch, but I go, is that B flat still in my head to go down the piano? There it is. Oh, oh Do you know really? what I mean? Because you hear it for so long. Just Where that, that might drive someone else insane, I'm in my happy place, man. Watching people doing the, the folk dances and the caber toss. So that part of my... DNA has always been something that has sparked my musical interest. And that, I think, was a reason that Ron Moore hired me on Outlander. Right. But I was nervous about how the show would be perceived um, by Scottish people. I mean, uh -huh. it's written by a woman from Arizona. Uh -huh. Do you know what I mean? Like, yep. it, it, uh, I, I completely understand any skepticism about mm -hmm. Americans telling this story. Um, how, I mean, what did you think of it? Well, for me, at the before music, you were on it, needless to say, what yeah. was your first impression? Well, I, I, I kind of always worry when uh, people take Scottish sort of culture, and especially when it's sort of historical, and oh, this is just going to go down that sort of shortbread tin sort of, mm -hmm. you know, fancy little. Do you remember? And, did you see the old? Disney movie, Rob Roy, the Highland Rogue. Exactly. You know what I mean? Or, and yeah. then Darby O'Gill and the Little People, Sean Connery's first movie. That's right. These like old <laughs> depictions of like, I remember the, the, the I, I dug up the Rob Roy movie um, after I saw the, the uh, Liam Neeson one, which I thought yeah. was fucking awesome, if I may say that. Yeah. But it was like, Rob Roy's like, unhand her ye knave. Like it's so, <laughs> oh, it's, you realize like, and and I you know the, the Grieger the artist I work with sometimes on Scotland on things in Outlander uh -huh. he sings the main title you know I I've learned a lot from him just about I think he bristles at that yeah. in a way that as an American I started to intuit like that's kind of a shitty depiction but yeah. I think correct me if I'm wrong I mean is that something that that you always mm -hmm. felt was unfair yeah there is a sort of it's when it becomes too simplified doesn't it and too sort of cleaned up. Like the music, a lot. Even back when I was growing up, there was um, there was a show called Thingamajig, yeah, and they play these kind of Scottish and and everybody sang a hold the hand, and it was just it used to great because you know we'd have parties at home where people would sing real Gaelic and real yeah. Celtic songs, and it was magic it was yep. real and it was about real things and robert burns and it was brilliant and i was so glad when i heard your music from the show 
that you you got that, you know. You That's got, 100%. Scotland by the ball. 100% you know? what I was going for. <laughs> you know what I mean, though? Yeah. Yeah. It was real people singing about real well, things and, and real I, relationships. But I do want to thank you for getting the music right. Oh, and, man, that and means the world. Real, that that yeah. means the world. And I McCreary. love it. That's right. I, I, I was wondering if, if people in Scotland would be like, Ben McCreary. <laughs> you know? great he name. must be one of us. It's yeah. such a great name. Yeah, well, while, go- while we continue to talk about music, should we... Should we Eat the world. Oh, we should. We always eat the world. Delicious. Because we do like to eat. We're hobbits after all. Billy and Dom eat the world. Did you bring this in, Bear? Or did you suggest You guys are going to surprise me. Okay, so we're going to be eating a a, a lovely treat from Israel. And is this this then afternoon tea? Or is this dinner? This would be afternoon tea. This is afternoon tea tea time. Here comes Eddie. Here comes Eddie and all eyes are on him. I'll read a little blurb here while so Eddie's... So tell uh, me what... Uh, thank you. What we're, what we're going to be uh, trying here... Thank you very much. There. Oh, thanks, Eddie. It's called the Bamba Peanut Butter Snack. Bamba is a snack made of peanut butter-flavoured puffed maize manufactured, manufactured in Israel. Bamba is one of the leading snack foods produced and sold in Israel. Thanks, Eddie. Oh. It's been marketed since... Ni- thank you. Since 1964 with no decline in sales, it says. This Fantastic. might have come directly from Bamba. Um, Bamba makes up for 25% of the Israel snack market. Similar products from other domestic manufacturers include the Butterfly, the Shush. It's also named the Bamba Snack because it sounds like baby talk. What sounds like baby talk? Bamba. 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 It's made from peanut butter flavored puff maize, contains no preservatives or food coloring, and is enriched with several vitamins, but it does contain... High amounts. Of what was fat the wait? What was the first salt. thing? Peanut butter flavored puffed maize. Puffed maize. I guess the it. energy content is 160 calories per 28 grams, which is a lot because these weigh light as air. Bamba is certified kosher by Fantastic. the Badats Jerusalem. The Washington Post described it as cheese doodles without the cheese. William, <laughs> should we give it a go? So this is very popular in Israel. If there's anyone out there in Israel listening or watching to us, hello. Sometimes uh, the listeners will send us these uh, ideas. Really? So this is from a listener. Fantastic. Let's have a go. I've had these type of things before. I don't know if it was Strictly Bamba, but mm, lovely. That's fascinating because the texture mm-hmm. makes mm-hmm. me think I'm eating a cheese puff. Yeah, mm. exactly. I've never tasted or a what's it, as we would call it, it in the UK. But it's peanut buttery. It's yeah. overwhelmingly peanut buttery. Extremely. I don't normally like peanut butter unless it's actually peanut butter. I don't think like things. You don't like fl- peanut butter flavored things? No. Let's explore this. Do you this not like a peanut uh, a Reese's <laughs> peanut butter cup? No. Oh, I do. I just like peanut butter. How wow. about Reese's pieces? Nope. Yeah. I like them too. Do you know Amazing. most people in England think that you know because Reese's pieces are obviously put down for ET to walk into the house. Most people in Britain think that they're M and M's. Because we don't have Reese's Pieces. Oh, we didn't. Really? We didn't in the 80s. We might now. These are lovely, if you don't mind me saying. Does anyone mind me saying that? I don't mind you saying. One day when I travel to Israel, I will be on the lookout. For the Bamba. The Bamba snack. I'm going to continue here, guys. In the advertising for the Bamba, it says, Bamba's advertising features the baby Bamba character heavily. Baby Bamba, uh, Bamba is a cartoon character depicted wearing a blue diaper or nappy. He has one tooth and he's bald, except for one ginger curl at the front of his head. In honor of International Women's Day 2020, a female baby bamboo was introduced. The female wet baby bamboo wears a pink t-shirt and has pigtails. In March 2021, the baseball team, the New York Nets, announced its partnership with this particular crisp. Wow, you go, New York Mets. I'll tell you what, Dom, it won't be long till I'm looking like the baby bamboo and you'll need to look after me. I'd love that. 
<laughs> well, just, just one tooth, no hair. One tooth, no hair. No I don't know how you're going to grow a ginger hair, but you'll work on it. I don't know, I'm Scottish. Every so often, happen. Yeah. Every so often, uh, Billy will grow just one single hair out of the tip of his nose. Just like that. Wow. It gets quite long as well. Wow. And Dom will always it? tell me, no, Dom tells me to pluck it. <laughs> it's amazing. So it's amazing. It. <laughs> it will get long. Um, yeah. For anyone who's just listening, Bear McCreary has wonderful long hair. Mm. That's true. I, Have you always had that? I started to grow it out about 20 years ago, and I've kept it at shoulder length until about 2015, when I just decided to never cut it again. Wow. Which is oh, funny because, nice. I, you know, so many people grew their hair out in the in the pandemic, but I had already, uh, I had already done it. Um, and then when I was at the, um, at the rings of power premiere, only then I feel so dumb confessing this. Only then did I realize everyone wore, wears wigs in the show. Mm-hmm. And everyone. I'm everyone, they, they have these incredible hair pieces, even, you know, <laughs> actors, I'm staring at their face eight hours a day for a year. And then I'm looking around something looking like, I look like I'm cosplaying <laughs> as, yeah, yeah. you know what I mean? As like, a dual. I, I know, exactly. Like, like, it's like, who's this fanboy over here that, uh, <laughs> hey, Aragorn, you know? These are fantastic. Yeah, I'm digging these. Now, guys, you might be thinking out there, the shape, the consistency, the yeah. lightness. How is this thing manufactured? Well, can Billy, you, could you tell me, Shall John? I tell you? Yeah. Corn grits are popped under high pressure, turning them into long, white lines of puffed, unflavored bamber. The lines are then cut into nuggets and then moved to a drying chamber where they are air-baked. This is so appetizing. For just oh, 20 seconds. 20 seconds is plenty, dog. Which gives them that lovely crispy texture. Is it, though? Yeah, it's plenty are for you a sure? puff. Yeah. The peanut butter, imported from Argentina, mm-hmm. is added at the end. A worker stands on a step above a rotating drum and pours a pitcher of liquid peanut butter into each container. What's his name? Him or her? It's called Juan. Right, carry on. As... The drums turn, the nuggets are coated, the hot bamba is then moved along a conveyor belt to cool before packaging, not after packaging, because it could damage the packet that's roasting hot wheels. Or stick to the sides. Brilliant. There's a little bit of information about that. Yeah. Let's score them. Flavor out of 10. We score out of 10 here. You can add a decimal point if you'd like. It could be 6.4, it could be 8.9, but the flavor has to be out of 10. And while you're thinking about that, Bear, mm-hmm. how many hours have you written of music for The Rings of Power? I wrote nine hours of music for mm. eight hours of footage. Wow. Where's the other hour? It's the themes. All right. There we go. Yeah. Nine hours of music. And I did that in nine months. Wow. Yeah. That's an hour, that's an hour a month. That's an hour a month. An hour a month. Wait, how, how much is that a day, Dom? Look at the math. Look at his math mind trying to work that out. How can you work that out? Well, see, see, let's say 30 days in a month. Yeah, let's it's say about, 30. It's about 60, two, 60 minutes. About two minutes 60 a day. minutes in an two hour. Two minutes a day. Two minutes. Half doable. a song. Is it though? I don't know. <laughs> I'm not a musician. <laughs> Have you ever? <laughs> it, is, it is doable in that it was done. It was done. Uh, it takes longer than you would yeah. think, wouldn't it? Yeah. When I, it, I when I did that song for the Hobbit, you know the the last goodbye, I went down to New Zealand. I was supposed to be there for like a week. I was there for about two months. Yeah, saying things back and forth. They couldn't and get it, him out. No, I couldn't. I was uh, I got a hotel room for free. It was lovely, <laughs> amazing. Um, but I was just thinking there that you know themes and the worlds, and you're talking about Howard Shore. 
I remember when I first sent that song to Howard Shore, I was shitting it. Mm. You know, that he would just say, this is awful. That is rubbish. And he wrote, he wrote back and said he, lo- he loved it. He says, but there's no minor seventh chords in Lord of the Rings. And I was like, I didn't even know I was playing a minor. There was a capo on the guitar. Billy, I Billy, had no I, idea. You put a minor, hold on. I can't believe Before you, Before I agreed Billy. to this interview, I didn't realize you put a minor seventh chord. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Why, why was no one telling me this? Bear, this is outrageous. If you want to leave, if you we have leave. to cut right now. No, no, you can just oh leave. Oh my God. Billy, minor was that seven? so full? What the fuck is wrong with you? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know, Bear. And I bet Tom. it wasn't just one. I bet it was over and over again. I didn't even know there was one in it. You're a disgrace, man. Disgraceful. Utterly oh, disgraceful. Oh, God, let's change the subject. He's left us like a stink in the air now. <laughs> All right, scores out of 10. I'm going to score it. I like this taste, but I would give it a slight critique here, which is that I want a little bit of salt. I like the peanut butter. I want a little bit of salt in my peanut butter, so I'm going to demote it by a point, and I'm going to give it a 7. Would have given it an 8 with more salt. I used to go up your house, Tom, and you'd have a a jar of uh, peanut butter Mm -hmm. with uh, chilies in it. Yeah, I made it myself. And then you'd just eat it by the spoonful. I would dig out the peanut butter into a bowl. Molden salt, cayenne pepper, paprika, now, chili flakes, garam masala, black awesome. pepper, coconut oil, mix it all up, put it back in the jar. I lived on that. But you also did this because your friend only likes peanut butter in butter form. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's very yeah. thoughtful of you. Yeah, yeah, I'm here for Billy. I would, yeah. I'd now like to change that, Bear, because I love these things. <gasps> yeah, they're tasty, these. Wow, this Abs- is changing your worldview on peanut butter. What was the score then? Flavor. Mm-hmm. 9.2. Yeah, I love it. You'd like to take that bag home tonight, wouldn't well, you? Well, it's almost empty. Mm-hmm. Bear's going through it like there's no, there's no empty. My second bag. round, man. What about you, Bear? Scores out of 10. I'm going to give it I'm going to give it an 8. Mm-hmm. And the I reason I'm going to yeah. give it an 8 is that almost like like you were saying, Dom, mm-hmm. I'm so used to peanut butter being in combination with other things. Mm-hmm. I mm-hmm. wish I had some chocolate Ooh, to wrap that. this around. Like, can you imagine like a malt ball? Mm. Like if there was like chocolate covering mm. on this peanut butter light fluffy thing? Mm. You could invent So that. it's almost, yeah, is could. it fair to demote a, fl- a good I flavor because no, of what fair. else you wish it's was fair. there? Yeah, no, I think no, I you can, salt. yeah. All right, the next category. Aesthetics. How does it look? How does it look? What do you think of the looks? It looks a little bit like a grub, like a like a beetle larva, like a, yeah, a the, fat the, maggot. Some, somebody would eat in one of those like Survivor shows, mm-hmm. right? Or like it? packing styrofoam. Packing ah. styrofoam for sure. This is all quite negative. The end of a cigarette, right? What if someone loves all those things? You, mm-hmm. We aren't saying we they're negative, right? I mean, okay, I'm putting negative connotations. Yeah, you're, you're, you're putting vibes out. I man. feel it's bad <laughs> about that. Though. It's not the most attractive chip I've ever seen, but give, I like the slightly it. strangeness of it. I'm going to give it a five. I was going to say five. Okay. I was going to say six. Oh. Ever the optimist. Yeah. Now, Billy, your favorite category. The final category is usefulness. How useful is this food? How useful is this Exactly, food? Bear, yeah. It's a brain Let teaser. me say, for instance, you had friends coming over. They weren't invited. Mm. They just came through your house and you said, oh, are you guys hungry? And they went, yeah, we are hungry. And you went to your cupboard and went to hear what's in it. Bear. Yeah, what have you got this week? There's two pounds of flour. Mm-hmm. There's two packets of these. There's a couple of eggs in the fridge, some cream, two pints of milk, and some uh, hundreds and thousands of toppings. What's well, a lot of dairy produce you have? But that's all you've got in the house. Mm. Is this useful? Could you do something? Could you pro- could you make? Could you do? 
Oh. The eggs, I'm, I'm wondering if there's a way to, yeah. to powder these into some sort of mm. a garnish, omelet with an so omelet. You, yeah, with some scrambled Something? eggs, mm. you sprinkle this on it. I don't know. Yeah. Are they useful? I don't know. I can't think. I mean, you crum- it's going to crumble into a powder, but then what do you do with that powder? Could you, could you crumble that onto popcorn or something? Not a That's bad an idea. idea. That's a nice idea. Maybe, maybe. I didn't say you had popcorn. Oh, yeah, sorry, I do it at my house. <laughs> All right, fair enough. <laughs> um, that's the only thing that I can... Because re- it's a savoury thing. It's not going to really go sweet, is it? No, nah, well... No. Did you put it on a cake, maybe? On a maybe chocolate cake? Maybe on a cake. Oh, on ice cream? Salty. Could you crumble it on the ice cream? It's mm, a tough one. I Could mean, you actually it? use it as packing peanuts? Could you uh, actually, yeah? yeah if yeah. You, were you have a Fabergé up- egg or something really valuable, yeah. put it in a box... You realize you don't have any. You've got to ship it out right away. Mm. I'll, I'll, I'll let you hear what happened with that, Brian. I'm the FedEx man. So as shipping peanuts, you're saying it's quite useless. It's not it very fails good for in this category. Your it's egg, a zero your egg in, would be cracked. Yeah. Okay. But I've now made the powder, <laughs> to, so you can see what it's like. Yeah, versatile. You got it all over your. You know what else now. I'm thinking? Mm. Hearing that on a close mic, yeah, maybe some well, what is that ASMR, some some ASMR, you know, like people like that, don't they? Oh, sounds like you're eating a raw carrot. That's Bear McCreary eating. Bear McCreary uh, eating. Really, what's this called again? Uh, a, ba- a bamba. A bamba. Bear McCreary uh, eats a bamber. Just enjoy this, ladies and gentlemen. Nice that. There's a market for that. Yeah, it's nice that. Do that for ten hours. People love that. Yeah. Although our listeners don't, we had a vote and they hate it when we eat too close to the mic. So well, I do it. I, I do say it more. Fifty-five percent of them hated it. That's a slim majority. Yeah. Majority. Forty-five are okay with it. I'm going to say, in terms of, <laughs> in terms of versatility, yeah, how useful it is. I, I'm going to give it a two and a half. Two and a half. That's not very good. I'm I'm feeling very optimistic today, Bear. You know, it's nice having you in the studio. You've got and it all over music. Yeah. No, I don't give a shit. <laughs> I love it. I, in fact, I want to play the baby in the in the ads. And yeah, you we'll can, get in you touch can with write them. the music for it. Please. I'll write a new mm-hmm. jingle. Yeah, and, what's it uh, called? Bamba, Bamba. And you it's could be no the ba- you could be the baby Bamba. <laughs> I'm the baby Bamba. We'll write Billy that Boyd, later. The baby right? Bamba. Billy Boyd, the baby Bamba. So right there. Alliteration there. That's fantastic. Mm. Um, I'm going to give it six. I, th- I think nah, I can find something. Yeah, I can place. find something to do with it. You're the good cop in this scenario, I yeah. see. Bear, what do you think while I'm rubbing my breasts? <laughs> Don't vote on that. Vote on the snack. <laughs> yeah. yeah. No comment on that. Right. Although maybe as like a massage tool, like you could crumple it up <laughs> yeah, and you know what I mean? And like, oh yeah, as, a exfoliant, as exfoliant, that's exfoliant, what it is. Exfoliant, there you go. Yeah. I'm changing mine to 7.5. Wow. There you go. What do you think, Bear? I think it could work. Massage you, it into the muscles. Give it, give it a score out of 10 then. For me? Usefulness. Well, I wanted to ship my Fabergé egg and I can't, so it's can't. zero. So it's, it's absolute zero. Yeah, it's not good. It's damning. Yeah. yeah, it's damning. It can only do one thing. Although I guess in your hypothetical with the guests that came over, I would do a little omelet and use it as garnish, I guess. Yeah. But it's still a zero. Two, I mean. A peanut a, butter omelet? Has a that 1. ever happened 5, before? I don't know. Uh. But you did also say these are people that I wasn't expecting or didn't even want yeah. to come over. So yeah. let's, 
if I don't want them to come over, the I bonding. probably want them to leave. Yeah. And wait a minute. So then it's then it's a ten. It's perfect. Because then you bring it out. I would cover the omelet with this. Yeah. Would you like a peanut butter omelet? Yeah. We'll see you and next a, week. A, a, <laughs> yeah. A this peanut, an absolute treat. A peanut butter dust omelet. Yeah. I tell you what, Bear, we could talk all day with you. It's great. Well, should but, we finish with a song? No, can I finish? Can I ask one question? Well, all first? right, I'll allow because it. Because there's something that we always like to do. Because you know, in case a listener, maybe a young listener, is uh, maybe thinking about becoming a composer or uh, doing film music or TV music, how did you get from a 13 year old in your room writing music every day? to being the guy that did um, Battlestar Galactica. Where, what happened in there that made that possible? Yeah, good question. Yeah. Thanks, um, yeah. That is a good question. I love what I do. Yeah. And I started doing it all day, every day. And I, when I was about 13, realized that I, I just wanted to do it all the time. Uh -huh. And I would be okay if I lived under a bridge, if it meant I got to write music. And when I got to college, I just found people that were doing student films, um, anybody that had anything that needed music. I just, I was thrilled to do it. Great. And I built up a group of people that felt the same way. We had no money, you know, I would, I would scrounge together enough money to get pizza for the orchestra session. So I would, you know, conduct my score. And also I would write for whoever was available. I called every musician I knew. And so if I was doing a student film, I'd go, okay, we got three clarinets, uh, a snare drum and a cello. So that's what you're going to get. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> Great. Um, and I just kept doing that. And there was a point early on on Battlestar in the first season that I realized that nothing had changed, wow. but I was finally getting paid a little bit, just a little bit. Um, and that I was still just waking up every day doing what I love to do. Um, and I think that then my actual like no joke advice is if you love what you do, and that's why you are collaborating with people. People want to work with you. They, you want to be that type of person that's excited and comes into the room eager to contribute and, and just mm -hmm. excited to get to do your part of it. And if you are even, you don't even have to be talented. The only thing you have to do is work hard at it. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? The people mm -hmm. that put in the work, I don't think I'm supremely talented. Oh, just, you are. Well, you are. I think I put in a lot of hours. Good. Let me put it this way. My, my talent could definitely be my work ethic, you know, that mm. I just put in the hours and I love doing it. And, and I feel like that benefited me so much. And I, I, I still like to think that I walk into any project like, wow, this is cool. Let's do this. You guys, oh, you know what I mean? And, yeah. and sometimes I, sometimes I'm going to make money. Sometimes I, I won't, I, I, you know, I'm just gonna, I'm just here to like have fun doing what I want to do. Mm. And if I don't get to do that, I'll, I'll go toward someone who will let me do that. Well, it's been fantastic having you on. I think, we, don't you think, if we've got a musician with us, don't we you think we should end with, with a song? Let's so we, we, we sometimes, well, we often ask our guests, and sometimes they say no, to suggest a song <laughs> that they think is funky. Now, just so everyone out there knows, it doesn't mean need to be funky in terms of like, you know, Earth, Wind & Fire funky or Bobby Womack funky. Sure. It's, is does it move you? Yes. You know, Mozart can be funky. Yeah. You know, is it funky? Strauss or can you? be funky. Did it get you going? Did you did you feel something? Did you get your juices going listening to this? Do you want to introduce this song to us and to our listeners? Uh yeah. Uh so Billy texted me about this and I thought like this definition of funky 
means that when you hear it, you have to stop what you're doing. Mm. And the, the music just grabs hold of your body and you go to another place and it takes you there. Love it. Um, that's what, that's what good music does for me. And there's mm -hmm. so many pieces of music and, uh, uh, it's actually one we've already alluded to, uh, uh in our conversation. The piece that I thought of was from Jerry Goldsmith's score to Star Trek, the motion picture, mm -hmm. Elia's theme, <gasps> which is so beautiful. It's so, it has no reason to be so beautiful. And it's like Jerry Goldsmith is just like writing circles around what, that character needs, but he's giving her all this depth. And it's not even a theme that would sort of go on into, I'm sorry, am I getting too into Star Trek? No, no, come on. You can never get too into Star Trek. <laughs> you sure? Don't, don't mess with me, bro. Don't, like, honestly. Okay. Look at the Star Trek poster up there. Uh, there you are. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So like, to me, this is one of those like deep sort of. Space Nine. <laughs> Indeed. Yeah. Space Nine. Uh, it's not something that became part of the popular lexicon of Star Trek the way the main title did from yeah. that movie that became yeah. this theme for TNG. Mm -hmm. It's like this, it's almost like buried at the bottom of Star Trek lore in between the original series and the Wrath of Khan when the only thing else was this weird movie that is good or not, I don't know, but that score is good. Mm -hmm. And even buried in that score is that theme that is just crushingly gorgeous and when it when it comes on if it comes on my um, Spotify or I'm walking on earbuds or, or whatever I'm doing I stop I have to I have to stop what I'm doing and like just experience it very cool well Eddie have you got that have you got Ilya's theme yes sir right, Jerry well, Goldsmith let's hear it let's have a listen Shelly, start with the tune. Ah. Little quote of the theme. But back to the good stuff. Listen to the counterline. Moving up and down like a wave. So did that end up becoming the theme tune to The Next Generation? No. 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 It, it only a... exists in the movie. So how does it, it do, but it does There's a character the named Ilya who yeah. is, is in that movie. Why am I, you tell us, Billy. You, you, well, you're, yeah, you're the, the, there was another, there's another theme in it, uh, which was the main theme that then became. You actually heard the horns. That becomes The Next Generation. That's from this movie. Right. It was one of several themes that Goldsmith wrote um, that, um, uh, but, but it's that other one, Ilya's theme that's so gorgeous. Mm, that I, I mean, beautiful. it's like my body tenses up because I, I can't even handle how beautiful it is. Isn't music weird like that? It's incredible, it's, isn't it? Because there's basically four notes there. Yeah. And it's just, as you say, the counter melodies there. Yeah, and just and the way that it's, the, the the upper strings are floating up and down. Da, 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 And then the celli that are normally down low are taking the melody. Um, oh, it's so beautiful. And then Very it just pretty. builds and builds, and it's just like, just jaw-droppingly beautiful. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And she's a sympathetic character in that, in that movie. Yes, but this is where, this is where 
we can we can talk Trek. I think the the movie itself is controversial. Some people love it. Some people hate it. I love it as a historical oddity that yeah. you just have to remember that there was no Wrath of Khan and TNG. It was just the show that had arguably failed. It's, a yeah, car- it's done. A cartoon that had failed. And this weird movie that kind of failed, but they were all spectacular in their own way. Mm-hmm. And Goldsmith, this is where, honestly, I think he saw Star Wars come out and was like, bro, I can do that. Because it's like, did... You're 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 obviously looking at me going, this character must be one of the most immortal characters yeah. in film. Yeah. Like in Dr. Zhivago. No, no. She's like a weird alien that turns into a robot and turns into a robot that has vaginal connotations. Like it's so weird. <laughs> it's so weird. Sorry, it's a weird there's there's like alien anuses oh. and all kinds of weird shit in this one. It's true though. No, I feel like I'm gonna watch this film. I mean Spock has to go through the orifice that oh. is like it's very sexual and super oh, weird. God. But what I'm saying is Goldsmith went, uh-huh, uh-huh. Star Wars had just come out and he was like, I can do that. I'll do that. Exactly. So he wrote a soaring epic theme and then this love theme that like, man, only he could have written. It, it, or is it a love thing? I don't know. I don't know. It's just this thing that floats above the movie. Yeah, yeah. That's why, for me, it is a piece of music outside of the context of the film. Mm-hmm. But that's the absurdity of it, right? Mm-hmm. That it's like Jerry Goldsmith wrote something that the movie didn't need. You could argue, like, didn't even make sense in the context of the movie. Like, it's so emotional. Mm-hmm. But he was a workaholic and I believe a genius. And he just, he's the kind of guy that could. He, he didn't save it for something else. He's like, I'm going to put that melody there. Yeah. And then the next thing that comes along, you know, what, the next movie he did was like Alien, probably. I'm going to do that. I'll do, yeah, you I'll know do another I mean? one. I'll mm-hmm. do another one. And Elmer Bernstein was his generation. He was like that too. He would sit at the piano and uh, when I was organizing scores in his studio and he would just kind of sit down and like mess around when he had five minutes. And then I'd look at him and I'd go, Elmer, what, what score was that? And he's like, I don't, I don't know, I'm just messing around. It's not, it's nothing. And you realize these guys that condition themselves and train themselves, you know, to just output what we would say is genius work, Mm -hmm. which goes back to what I was saying earlier about as a consumer, you, you worship it. It becomes a deity. Like, oh my God, that's so genius. Is it genius or is it just at that point in his life, what Jerry Goldsmith could do on Tuesday? Mm, Yeah. That's what it actually was yeah. even though for me it's like that's genius I, if I write a piece of music half as good as Elia's theme before I die I'll go man I made it mm. you know what I mean yeah so there you go that's well, funky We, it is definitely funky we like to rate these funky things based on a funk level, don't we? Like a funk meter. <laughs> yeah, funk meter. Funk meter. So what, yeah, what, funk what would the meter... How would we... Well, the lower uh, level of funk is Brahms, who is not generally seen as being classically funky. Okay. And, then and all, what would the top level all be? All the way Brahms? up to the top, which is uh, Prince that is most purple. Yep. Okay. So yep. if you could think of an artist that sits somewhere in that category, I'm going to go first. I'm going to say uh, David Bowie is a lad insane. Well, that's, that's quite it's pretty funky. funky. Yeah, it's pretty funky. What if I said uh, Leonard Nimoy singing Bilbo's theme? Oh, that's funky. Is as that well. quite funky? Yeah, it's funky. If you do, you want to mark it in any way? Yeah, I mean, like in terms of <laughs> funk level, I mean, I think it's somewhere uh, sitting around. Um, Boy, the the uh, the Bilbo Baggins song is good. It's a good one. <laughs> <laughs> it's made you think about that, isn't it? You've yeah. got to watch that well, you, when you go. No, it's here. funny because I'm also thinking like now my brain is going down that path. Um, 
Where there's a whip, there's a way. Well, mm-hmm. what was that? Which, by the way, way, legit is funky. Mm-hmm. I like, know. Where there's a whip, there's a way. And they had dancers in there. Yeah, that's like. You could have that. That could be a level of funk. Yeah, you could join me with that. I'm happy to have. If I can get to the end of Rings of Power and find a place to quote both the Bilbo Baggins song and where there's a whip and there's a way, but in like a big orchestral setting, you know, just just gorgeous and French yeah. horns and strings. It just have people go that melody. What? Yeah, was that? <laughs> yeah, what did he? I, I want to do it. I don't know if it'll happen. Well, we'll watch this space, Bear. Yeah. Um, yeah, let's make it happen. Well, the the music you are doing in it is just beautiful, Bear. It really ah, thank is, you. and it's even better now that uh, I've met you and now you have as well. Yeah, Tom. it's always so you nice can, to you put enjoy a it face. more, don't you? Yeah. And the, the more music. I speak to you as well and find out where you kind of came from with your music, and then you hear it in the music, it's just it's, it makes it it makes it even better. I I appreciate you saying that. It's I wonderful. feel like music is so incredibly personal, mm-hmm. as much as one thinks that you can write in somebody else's style like you can't like mm-hmm. i can only write what i what i am and i am what i am today mm-hmm. and if i wrote something today it might be different than what i write tomorrow well the the music you have written and the world you've created and god of war and battlestar and outlander and and rings of power now. I would uh, implore everyone to go and listen to that stuff. Well, and, I, indeed, yeah. I appreciate that, gents. And thanks for everything you guys have done to create things that inspired me mm. uh, on as I was on my path to uh, to to do what I do. I mean, I feel like that's the great thing about art is that you get to everybody gives to everybody else. Yeah, yeah and everybody true. inspires everybody else. Well, it's been great having you on, Bear. Um, Billy, we've run out of time. Yeah, we've run out of time. So tell them, where, tell people where they can um, send voice messages. But yeah, if you'd like to get in touch with us, you could do that wherever you subscribe and rate and review your podcast. And you can also get in touch with us on our YouTube page, which is the Friendship Onion. Friendship Onion. Just on YouTube. And uh, you can send messages on speakpipe.com slash Friendship Onion. And, uh, oh, you can get merch at thefriendshiponionpodcast.com. I yeah. mean, that's it, right? And then go and listen to Bear McCreary music. Why yeah. wouldn't you? Watch the shows that he's done. Watch The Rings of Power. And we'll see you guys next week on The Friendship Onion. Yay! Yay!